baptism story to tell. And I have one that I will never, ever forget. Uh, It was Christmas Eve, and I was serving at my first full-time church as an associate pastor in northern Kentucky. Christmas Eve service there was was a big deal. The choir was in the loft, full, dressed, all in their red Christmas kinds of uh, tops and ties. And we were celebrating that evening Christmas Eve service with a baptism. Now, our senior pastor, his name was Robert Franklin. He was all ready to preach the sermon for Christmas Eve. And he asked if I would like to do the baptism because I was involved in leading this gentleman to Christ. Thing was, this gentleman was no small man. Uh, He was a large man, uh, about 6'7", and tipping a little over 300 pounds. He was a large fella. Now, he was sweet and kind and gentle, but he was just a big fella. And I'm not that big of a guy, but I thought, you know, we can make this happen. We can make this work. The Christmas Eve service has started, the choir has sung their opening number, everything is decorated, and we go into the waters. Well, I go in first, just like a few minutes ago, and say some opening words and get excited about the moment, and then my friend joins me in the tank, and I notice there's a new current in the tank. (laughs) The water is moving at a little different pace, but no fear here, no fear. We ask him the questions to give his public proclamation and give his declaration of faith in Christ, and he does it. And our church was a celebration church, so we clapped a lot and celebrated. And then came time to baptize him. Well, he turned, just as Gabriel and I did, and we had to actually move a few feet because we were afraid that he would bump his head. So we get to the side because he's a fellow with some height. And so we move over, and the waters begin to slosh. And I have to get, put my Bible down because it's, it's a visual dis- demonstration. He got so nervous in the moment that he went stiff as a board. I mean stiff as a board. And as he went back, all 300 plus pounds were on my arm. Well, let's just say there were two baptisms that evening. <laughs> I went completely under with him. We both came up sloshing and sp- but then the tsunami came (laughs) over the wall all down the choir's back just soaked the whole front line the bass singers were wet as they could be people are laughing people are clapping people are shocked and gasping and we just come out and he turns around in the most genuine love and just picks me up in a bear hug and squeezes me like a little rag doll And off we go in the Christmas Eve service. From then on, my pastor would say, Shane, you want to do a baptism? And I said, well, let me me make sure we're in good situations. But we all have baptism stories. It's, It's like the little kid. He was a pastor of a Baptist minister and had never really paid attention much in worship. And one Sunday, there was a baptism. And He thought it was pretty interesting, and this little boy decided when he got home the next day that he was going to baptize all three of his cats. Well, the little kitten pretty much 
took it in good stride. He dunked the little kitten, and out she came, and while she didn't like it, she didn't fight. The middle cat, well, he, he made it too, but it was the, the old mama cat. And the mama cat probably saw what was going to happen and started scratching and clawing and hissing, but this little boy was so determined he was going to baptize all three of his cats. Well, eventually the mama cat got away from him, but he wasn't deterred. He went and found her, and he was going to bring her back to the bathtub. He finally just gets her head in, not her full body, and she's clawing and scratching and jumps out of his arms, and finally he said in disgust, Great, then you're a Methodist. (laughs) (laughs) Baptism stories. The reason why we laugh and the reason why it makes for good emotions is because these are meaningful events. These are meaningful moments. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Because on the occasion of our baptism this morning, I thought I would teach about baptism. There's no better opportunity to connect the dots when we have witnessed something We have experienced something, but let's teach on this topic to make clear the meaning. And Colossians chapter 2, as you know, is continuing our series called The Path. And Paul writes about baptism in Colossians chapter 2 and explains it in a way that I think is very helpful. If you remember our, our ropes along the trail with these key markers, we all have a starting point at belief. And upon belief, we know a first act of obedience is baptism. So we're going to begin reading in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. The Scripture says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul writes in these words that the Colossians have received Christ Jesus the Lord. They have received the Lord. Now this is an important thing to remember, as you might from last week as we introduced this book. Uh, The Colossians were mostly new believers, very young in the faith. Uh, Paul had never been to their city. He was not the church planter. 
He had heard of their testimony while in prison in Rome. And in his desire to encourage them and affirm them, he sends them this letter to help start them on the right path. You remember from chapter 1 last week, he, he affirms that they really do believe, and he had evidence that they really did believe, and he speaks about that evidence, and he affirms them in that evidence that they really are in Christ. Well, in chapter 2, he's going to work on a couple different angles, one that has to do with their current surroundings, and one to do with an idea that maybe they have heard of called circumcision. Well, let's look right there in the first few verses as he's helping them walk in the path. He says in verse 6 that they have received Christ Jesus the Lord, and he wants them to walk in him. Walk in him. So that they are rooted, that they are built up, that they're established. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who have trusted Christ, who are in Christ, we are to be rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, and established in Christ. Amen? The world, however, is going to try to steal away some of that rooting, some of that building, some of that establishment. And that's what he says. He says in verse 8, See to it that no one, this would be the outsiders, take you captive, steal you, imprison you, enshackle you. Don't let them take you by the philosophies of human tradition, human elemental spirits, of things that are not in Christ. You see, they live in a time and in a world where philosophers, men in togas, would come to their cities and espouse all kinds of philosophies of the day. You know of some of them in the time past, like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. And while all of those men had already died at this point, their students and their student students and their student student students were still walking into cities and speaking about philosophies of the world. They would speak about the human nature and they would speak about the gods, the belief that there were numerous gods in a pantheon of gods. And they would try to get people on board with their philosophies. And Paul wants to remind the Colossians who live in the center of this, stick with Jesus. Stick with what he taught. Don't be captive by the philosophies of the world. Now friends, I think you can make the connection as I can. We may not have men in togas walking around, students and students and students of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, but let me tell you, there are worldly philosophies all around. They're on this news channel and this book store stand. They're posted in this YouTube channel and sent out on this Facebook thread. We have philosophies of human understanding all around us. And for every believer, whether new or long in the faith, the reality is all of us have a threat of being taken captive by these kinds of philosophies, these kinds of deceptions, empty deceit, Paul writes. But what's the battle plan then? Stay rooted in Christ. Stay built up in Christ. Stay established in Christ. Stay thankful to Christ, and in Christ alone we can defeat these schemes. Well, that's the opening there of 6 
through verse 10. But then he shifts gears to another topic that would be very foreign to the Colossian audience. In verse 11, I point you to this phrase, he says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Now, for a Greek audience living in that time, circumcision was a foreign concept. For the most, for the most of that group, they, they wouldn't even really know what that meant. They were not Jewish background believers. They were not from the promise of the Old Testament. They didn't have a familiarity with the idea of circumcision. Undoubtedly, they knew of it. It was a practice that had been established in several corners of the world, but it, it wasn't something that they were familiar with. But he says, you, you former Gentiles, now Christians, you were not circumcised like the Jewish peoples of old. You were circumcised with something different, a different act. Not a physical act, not a man-made act. You were circumcised by this act of baptism. Now, he's going to reframe it in such a way that they can understand and he's going to reframe it in a way that we can understand. Verse 12, we see that we have been buried with Him in baptism. This new spiritual act, this new identity that we have, this outward symbol of something that has happened inwardly is a burial with Christ in baptism. It's the picture of going into a tomb as a dead man. You're dying to something. You're, you're dying to sin. You're dying to your old ways, to your old self, to your old wishes, to your old wants. You're dying to that old way of life. You've gone into the tomb. You have been buried with Christ. Did Jesus die on the cross? That's an easier question. Did Jesus actually die on the cross? Yes. And what did they place in the tomb? Was it a living man or a dead man? A dead man. There's a dead man in the tomb. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. But then it continues. In which you were also raised with Him through faith. Did Jesus rise alive? The dead... Jesus went into the tomb, but the living Jesus came out of the tomb. Amen? That's a simple understanding principle of the Christian faith. If Jesus stayed dead, the Bible says we are all fools. But if Jesus is alive, He is victorious over death, and He is the conqueror of the cross. Amen? So Jesus went into the tomb dead. He came out alive. So baptism is this understanding of a death and a resurrection. Now, it's, it's the idea of being born again. Now, in John chapter 3, you know, Jesus has the conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus can't understand how a man or a woman who is an adult can re-enter into the mother's womb. He's struggling with the physical realities of rebirth. We know this isn't a real physical death in a real physical resurrection. It's a 
spiritual circumcision. It's a death of the self and a rising again. But baptism, biblically there, is something that all Christians should seek after. It's a powerfully significant declaration. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in detail. Would that be okay? I just want to answer a few questions, kind of the who, why, when, and how. Just establishing what baptism is, and we'll do it in four very quick questions. Question number one, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? I think that's an easy answer, and it's one that we can see from verse 6. Who should be baptized? Those who have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen? That's, that's who should be baptized. Not babies who have no ability to make a decision for themselves. Not children at a specific age because they have passed from 11 to 12 or 12 to 13. Now we baptize them in uniformity. That's not a walking in Christ, receiving Christ. You could just be of age. I think that's actually anti-biblical. I also don't think it's a good idea to baptize someone just because they want to be baptized. I had a person say, I, Pastor Shane, would you baptize me? Why, why would you like to be baptized? Because I just saw some friends get baptized. I want to get baptized. That, that's, that's not a good, good way, good who. Uh, someone asked me recently if I would baptize someone who was really, really sick. Kind of as a just-in-case precaution. The answer is no. Now, if they've trusted Christ and they want to follow in believer's baptism and they're not able to physically come to a tank, we can make an arrangement. But before we baptize anyone, we must ask the question, have you received Christ? That's the most important question. That's the who. It's, it's, it's strange sometimes that we baptize folks without asking the most essential question. Have you received Christ? It's not have you desired this or has your parents pressured this or has your friends done this. It's have you decided in your heart to trust Christ. That's who we baptize. And it's hard to know sometimes the true intentions of the heart. But I trust that God knows the heart more than I. And God knows the truest reality. If you are being baptized and you haven't received Christ... All you're doing is getting wet. All you're doing is getting wet. That's who. Let's answer why. Why be baptized? There is really only one essential answer to this why question, and it's this, to make public what has happened privately. It's that verbal public witness we talked about last week where you're making known what has already happened on the inside. And I believe firmly that while baptism is really important for the church, I don't believe it's also equating to church membership. I believe a person who comes to faith in Christ and who desires to be baptized, whether in a pond or in an ocean or in a river or in a tank, isn't necessarily saying to the congregation, I also want to be a member of the church. Now, I, I know there are some disagreements that might exist in that reality. But a few years ago, a gentleman 
at the church we were at previously, a Monticello came to me and asked to be baptized. He had only been out of prison for a week. One of our deacons had gone into the prisons and had led him to Christ. And he wanted to publicly testify to his newfound faith. Well, he'd only been a believer for about a month. And now he was out of prison and he wanted to publicly declare his newfound faith. Well, he had never really been a church a day in his life. It wasn't that his baptism was meaning he is now a member of First Baptist Church Monticello. His baptism was saying, Jesus is now living in my heart. I am now different than the man who was in prison. I am now freed by Jesus Christ. Now, if he chose over time to make membership in that church the next decision, by all means, we would gladly have received him. But I don't believe that we have to assign membership with baptism. I believe it's an act of first obedience and one that should be encouraged, but membership in a church is really more about submitting yourself to the mission and vision of that local body. It's about committing yourself to be more than an observer. It's to be one who is engaged and participating. I'm not sure we have done well to connect them together. And just to be clear and very, very, very honest, Gabriel's baptism today isn't necessarily about becoming a member of Younger's Creek Baptist Church. It was a public declaration of something that had already happened. It was giving a witness to his decision in faith in Christ. So why? Because it's public. Two, or three, I'm sorry. When should you be baptized? Now this gets a little dicey. Are y'all doing okay? It's about 70,000 degrees in here. Can y'all agree? No, we got some that are cold. I am drenched. Okay, so maybe it was the warm hot water in the tank. It feels a little warm. Why be, or excuse me, when to be baptized? Well, I believe baptism is clearly described as an act of first obedience. You can see it there on the signage. You can see it on the screen. It shouldn't be put off except for good, wise choices in decision-making. Uh, if you have a very young child who is interested in following Christ, there can be a wise decision by parents to put off baptism to make sure they understand the true reality. There's sometimes a reason to put it off for family to be gathered and guests to be brought together and folks to be alerted to this decision so there can be a celebration and can be a, a true joyous occasion. There might be an occasion where you need to delay until you're able to actually perform the ceremony of baptism. I know in certain parts of the world, there are no baptistry tanks in churches. The only place they baptize are in creeks and rivers and ponds. And I'm sorry, in the dead of winter, that's a bad idea. Except maybe for Lee, the polar bear club over here. You might have to wait until there's actually a warming of the temperature in order to celebrate this occasion. But while there are some reasonable choices to delay, you shouldn't delay for long. Because in some ways, it's saying publicly, Jesus is in my heart and I am following him by faith. There's something powerful that takes place when you publicly declare it. When the secret is no longer secret, but it's made public. Now, our brothers and sisters in the Christian church, a church like First Christian here in E-Town or others, 
they actually keep the baptistry filled every Sunday, every Wednesday. And that any moment in an invitation someone professes faith in Christ, they walk them straight back to the tank and baptize them on the spot. They believe in immediate baptism. Now, the reason they make that connection is because they read in Acts chapter 2 a sentence, a scripture that really affirms a don't wait attitude, a don't wait response. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and 37 and 38 is where they get this understanding. Acts 2, verse 37 and 38. Peter has just preached an amazing Pentecost sermon where people are hearing the gospel in large numbers, and he's now giving the invitation and giving the response. And verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How should we respond? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Our brothers and sisters in the Christian church, they see those as being tied together. Repentance and baptism woven together. They would say something along the lines, even though it's hard to depict, that the baptism seals the deal or secures salvation, that it must be done quickly so that if by terrible circumstance you were saved by repentance, you had come to faith in Christ, but in the time between that moment and the baptism, if you were to die, you would not be assured of salvation. I think this is very unbiblical. I believe the better response, not to diminish any of my brothers and sisters in that tribe, we're all going to be in heaven together, but they're just wrong on this one. The reality is repentance is what brings you to faith in Christ. Baptism is not connected as a finishing act, finishing the transition, transaction, sealing the deal. Baptism is saying publicly something that has happened privately. It's saying something outwardly that has happened inwardly. You're just declaring what has already transpired. Repent and be baptized. With that said, you shouldn't delay baptism for years and years and years because you're afraid of making public what has happened privately. If you delay for years and years, the reality is you probably have never truly repented and followed Christ. Because you don't want to deny obedience to Christ. You want to surrender to obedience to Christ. You don't want to delay something publicly announcing. You want to embrace this opportunity to make clear what has happened in your life. Amen? It's, it's sometimes reasonable for us to delay. But what I have found is sometimes when we delay a few months, it becomes a few years and it becomes a few more years, and then it's just hard to even get our, our minds and hearts ready to say, oh, I've made a mistake. I've waited too long. Well, I'll just forget about it. No, it needs to be an act of first obedience. That's the who. That's the why. That's the when. Let me give you one last question, and we'll close. The how. 
Now, in today's world, there are basically three practices. Sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. Sprinkling is truly that. Taking some water and sprinkling it over the head. Most of us connect that to infant christening or taking a baby shortly after its birth and having it christened. This is very much the practice of the Roman Catholic Church. Pouring and sprinkling are also found in our Methodist brothers and sisters. They're just a little put off by the idea of complete immersion. I don't know why. If you choose in a Methodist church to be immersed, they will immerse you. But their practice is more to take a cup of water and pour it over your head as a sign of baptism. Well, it's just hard for me to understand that. Now, it shouldn't surprise you. I'm a Baptist. Baptists hold firm to the understanding that the word baptizo in the Greek means to submerge. It's to dunk. It's to get all wet. Now, Baptists get made fun of. Well, do you have to get all their hair wet? You know, what if, what if a tuft of hair at the top doesn't get wet? Does it count? Yes, it counts, legalist. But the mode is not necessarily what's making the transaction in your heart. Remember, faith in Christ is what saves you. But the mode is important because it's a death and burial symbol. You don't sprinkle into death. You don't sprinkle into the tomb. You don't pour into the tomb. No, you are placed in the tomb. Do you get me? You are laid in the tomb. The reason why we Baptists, and again, I'm a champion here, for our tribe, the reason why we completely submerge is because we're trying to represent a death and rebirth. This is how we say it. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. I've gone into the tomb, dead. I've come out alive. The old self, dead. The new man raised to walk. Do you see it? While the pouring and the sprinkling in my heart, I know it does not mean anything in the eyes of God. But if I'm trying to watch and accurately as possible follow the biblical instruction, I believe immersion is the only mode or method because it's a death and burial picture. Paul writes it this way in Romans 6, verse 4 a verse that we normally quote with each and every baptism. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are buried with Him. We are raised with Him. We are made alive in Maybe today the topic of baptism has become more clear to you, more, more understandable. Maybe today you even recognize that your baptism, maybe years ago or decades ago, was, was out of order, out of sequence. That you really didn't believe in Christ. You had not become part of His Followers, you were just practicing something you observed or imitating something you had seen. 
and you know that your baptism is out of order, maybe today you would like to reset that order. Maybe you would like to say publicly, I've never followed in baptism, and I've just put it off and put it off and put it off. Well, maybe today you would like to seek to make that right. Maybe, just maybe, you would say today, I've not been baptized because I've not received Christ. I've not trusted Him. I've not repented. And today you have felt the Spirit's tug on your heart to finally surrender to Christ. Whatever invitation, response you need to make, I pray today you would make it. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this opportunity. And I pray whatever decision that needs to be made, whatever response that needs to be taken, that you would give us strength in this moment to respond appropriately. Put aside fear, put aside embarrassment, put aside any sense that others are watching. There is no place that is more more supportive and more encouraging than the house of God. So whatever your spirit is saying, I pray we would respond now appropriately. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song of response. The altar is open. I'll be here. Be glad to talk to anyone.